I want to open my eyes to death before they are closed by a mortician's hands. And I'd like all of us to better understand the practicalities and the rituals, the decisions we make about the way we should care for those who are dying, and how we commemorate those who are dead. I'm also driven by a desire not to repeat the mistakes I made when my parents died, so that when next I lose someone close, I can better grieve. And it may be an attempt to stare down death so that when my turn comes, I will be more aware of what happens in the days leading to and immediately after the end of life. Knowledge about death, like knowledge about life, provides power and perhaps a greater deal of control than you might otherwise have had. Raised a Catholic, long strayed, I can still recite three prayers by heart. One is the Lord's Prayer, the other Hail Mary, so often repeated as penance for the sins I confessed at weekly confession that they are engraved on my memory. The third was the earliest prayer that I learned, a child's prayer I recited nightly as a five-year-old kneeling by my bed. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The prayer sits in my memory in some dusty cerebral file labelled Things I Remember from Childhood But Don't Know Why. It's filed in the same place as this archaic nursery rhyme. Ring around a rosy, a pocket full of posies, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. These were my first literary brushes with death. Popular legend has it that the nursery rhyme, like the prayer, is about dying, that it refers to the great plague of London that devastated 17th century England, despite attempts to ward off the miasma by sniffing posies of flowers or herbs. Some argue that the first line refers to a symptom of the disease, a round red rash, just as the sneezing in the third line suggests another symptom. And when you fall down from the plague, you don't get up. Bubonic plague had struck London before, in 1348, when it's estimated that a third to half of the population perished. With these grim statistics, there would have been no one in the city who was not exposed to the sight of a corpse. This dark explanation of the rhyme is certainly not what I had in mind as I recited it innocently as a young boy. Yet the morbid interpretation brings home how protected my childhood was compared with what it must have been like to grow up in London during the plague years. There and then the sight of people who had died in the street was commonplace. As men crying, bring out your dead, did their rounds, collecting corpses to cart away to burial pits. Contrast this with my most vivid memory of death before my parents died, which surprisingly does not involve my grandparents. My grandfathers died before I was born, and I have no clear memory of the deaths of my grandmothers other than what I was given from their estates. From Nana, I have a black iron sheep, which I use to keep doors open. From Grandma, a garden gnome, who survived intact for 40 years until a wild winter storm this year left him legless. Rather, my strongest childhood memory involves the death of a sparrow. But unlike with my grandparents, I saw the cold reality of my sparrow's death. The bird was no doubt already ailing when I captured it in a shoebox one bitter winter, put it in an abandoned birdcage and fed it cornflakes. The next morning, my sparrow was sitting on its perch motionless, having frozen overnight. I buried him in the same shoebox in which I hastened his end. If that experience increased my consciousness of death, it was short-lived, and death soon returned to the recesses of my mind. Few of us want to die, and most of us cannot understand why some do want to, but ignoring the reality will do nothing to postpone its inevitability. The author, Arthur Kersler, a leading voluntary euthanasia advocate, wrote before his own suicide, 
If the word death were absent from our vocabulary, our great works of literature would have remained unwritten. Pyramids and cathedrals would not exist, nor works of religious art, and all art of religious or magic origin. The pathology and creativity of the human mind are two sides of the same metal, coined by the same mint master. Samuel Beckett had a deep, dark understanding of how the living relate to the prospect of being dead, as only an Irish playwright could. Ironically, it was Beckett who was partly to blame for my distraction at the time my father was dying, as he was the subject of the university thesis I was working on. Beckett had a wonderful explanation of what it will be like in the afterlife. We'll sit around talking about the good old days when we wished that we were dead. Writers and artists often outshine physicians and philosophers in helping us think about death. In 2007, a skull set a record price for a piece by a living artist. It was the work of British contemporary...